Well, uh, welcome again, everybody, uh, here. Uh, and um, I want to just say hi again, everyone who is following us online. Uh, thanks for joining in. And today, uh, I'll talk about one of the things I absolutely love about being a Christian. And that is that uh, there's, this is something that I think kind of makes us a little bit unique among some religions. And that is that we have the idea of freedom baked into our religion, baked into our beliefs. Uh, not all religions have a sense of freedom. For many, it's simply, it's all about obedience, submission, following rules. And we do have that. Uh, we do have our laws, and I do believe in obedience to God. But freedom is such an intrinsic concept in what we do. For example, look at Jesus's, this is Jesus's mission statement. Uh, I, I go back to this passage a lot, I'll admit. But this is Jesus outlining what he's going to do and why he's there, right? So Jesus is, a, it, it, so it says, when he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. They unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is, this is Jesus saying, this is why I'm here. And he'll say right after this, in your presence this has been fulfilled. So Jesus is saying essentially, why am I here? I'm here to do these things, including let the oppressed go free. So if we are following Jesus and his disciples, then part of what we do is we seek to also free the oppressed. So don't let anyone tell you that Christians should never talk about things like economics or politics. Jesus did. Uh, he did so people could be free. Now, we all know what happens next in the story, right? First one says, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, how could, who care, how, don't listen to anything he has to say. He's Joseph's kid. And then, they, and, and then he says, well, I'm sure you guys are going to tell me I need to go heal someone, but and we ain't healing anyone in this town. And then they get really mad and then, after he says that, and then they go to run him off a cliff. But they're so mad that they don't notice that while the mob is going to run him off a cliff, he just walks back through the mob and disappears. Must have been pretty anticlimactic to be sitting there with your pitchforks and torches. Yeah, looking down the cliff, going, where'd he go? But that's what happens. He goes immediately from going, let's let the oppressed go free, to let's kill this guy. And these were people he knew, he grew up with. You know, how many of them saw him in diapers? You know, and, and immediately they went from the hometown boys become a rabbi to let's kill him. That's a big switch fast, right? And, and, and it, it's because when you start talking about freeing people and releasing captives, there's somebody who's not going to want to hear that because that messes with things. Oppression for some people is very profitable. That's why people do it. When you start asking questions about how those things are done and start saying, look, we're going to create a new order of things and let's get rid of this Jesus. Doing good to some people is doing bad. 
And Jesus has this great side, this kind of confrontational side that gets him into trouble with these kind of things when he starts talking about this kind of a vision. But this is the vision he's putting forth for the world. A vision where nobody goes hungry, where nobody's enslaved, where nobody is so desperate for food that they're practically enslaved, where a world where people are never falsely put in prison or treated in abused ways, where nobody is stuck having to take out debts they know they can't pay because there's no other way to put food on the table and rent over their heads. Jesus is giving us this reading from Isaiah that's already 700 years old by the time he gets it, but he's giving us this reading to tell us what he's here for, what he's going to do, and, and what kind of world God wants this world to be. And there's something really radical about that. And I love that vision. That's why I keep bringing up this verse again and again. Make sure we don't forget it. What is Jesus' mission? Part of it is to let the oppressed go free and release the captives. Because when you have a vision of how things can be, you allow yourself to try to make it happen. If you believe it can't happen, then you'll never try, right? That's how anything is. I'll, I'll, I'll never try to do painting because I can't see myself doing it. I'll never try whatever. But if we have that vision, we believe that it can be. And not only that we believe it can be, but that God is going to make it happen, then now we're free to start making that a reality and we're free to, to stop believing that things as they are is the only way they can be. But you have to have that vision that vision, that insight of that new world. And what do you call this world? I call this world a world without masters. That's what I call it, a world without masters. Because if there's no slave, there's no master. If there's no prisoner, there's no warden. If there's no abuse, there's no abuser. If you want to make this world a world where everyone is truly free, then they're going to, then eventually some people are going to have to take a pay cut or find a new job. That's why freeing people makes you enemies, right? Masters don't like giving up their power, right? We had to fight a whole big bloody war over this. Let's look at another reading, very similar to what happens to Jesus. Acts 16, right? This was our Bible reading today. Nice long one, right? Uh, actually, it's going to cut it in half. I didn't need the whole prison the whole prison door thing, but it was too late by the time I realized I'd put too much text in there. Anyways, let's summarize this story. Long story. Paul and Silas are in Greece. They've been going around. Paul's been doing his thing, planting churches, casting out demons, healing people. In many ways, he's got that gift uh, that the Spirit's given him that Jesus had. And he goes around, and he gets to this town, and uh, there's this woman. It says she's young, doesn't give an exact age, and it says she's possessed by a demon. But because she's possessed by a demon, she has this ability to do fortune-telling. She's got this sort of demonic fortune-telling power, right? And, and her owners, and they've, they, she's a slave girl, and her owners have figured out they can make big profits by, by selling access to her so people can hear that their loved ones miss them and care for them very much, right? Because that's what mediums always say. Do you notice that? You never, watch, you never turn on and watch the Long Island medium, and she never gets there and goes, 
Oh, wait, I'm hearing something. I'm hearing something. Yeah, Grandpa said you robbed him of his inheritance, and you got the money under the couch. It's in a checkbook number, B32-578, the account routing number. He's got the account routing number in there, and he says that you stole the inheritance from him. Make sure to call Long Island PD right now. They ne notice how they never say that? It's never, you were mean and cruel to me when I was in a wheelchair. I hope you go to hell. Whoa. It's always, it, whenever somebody talks to the dead, it's always, wait, I see the color blue, and she loves you and misses you. You know? And I would guess most people love and miss their wood. But, you know, you don't make money by, with bad news, right? I'll bet the cops would love to get their hands on that fortune teller, though. Come on, tell us, tell us. Who did it? Where's the stash, right? So, but this, is, this was the shtick. So she had this weird thing of, uh, of being oppressed both in, in, in this world and in her soul. She was oppressed in body and in her soul. And she comes up to Paul, and like the demons always seem to do in the Gospels. If you read this, the demons, whenever they see Jesus, whenever they see one of the disciples, they immediately start going, identify them. Here's the followers of the Most High God. So this girl's running around going, followers of the Most High God. There goes the followers of the Most High God. And what does Paul do? Does Paul go, oh, well, you know, I've been healing demons all, all my whole way through Asia Minor. Why don't I just heal her too? The power of Christ compels you. No. What does he do? He just keeps walking on. He's annoyed by her. He's annoyed by her. This is not the part of the story that makes Paul look very good, right? He has the power to cast out demons. He's done it. Why doesn't he do it? She's a captive to this, this in her soul. Why doesn't Paul just make the demon go away? Instead, he ignores her. Well, what does the girl do? She keeps pestering him. She comes back day after day after day. Finally, Paul decides just in order to shut her up, not because not because he seems terribly worried about her condition, just to shut her up, he's like, all right, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And as soon as she gets out of her, guess who just lost their money? Oh, that's right, the owners. Now she can't tell you, you know, what color dress your loved one used to wear. She can't do that anymore. Now what's going to happen? Well, now they lost their meal ticket, so they drag him into court, try to get him killed, Right? The same thing they do to Paul, they do to Paul the same thing they did to Jesus. You try to free someone, they try to get you killed. And, and again, I, I get a little bit, this story does, again, I struggle with it a little bit. Because, you know, I wish Paul would have, I wish Paul would have taken a more strong stance against slavery. Like, he doesn't ever, in all of his writings, and all the things he says, he never just says, look, Slavery is wrong. It may be how our world works. It isn't God's will. You know, he doesn't ever seem to do that. When he runs into people who are slaves, he doesn't make a huge effort to criticize it. He doesn't look at those owners and say, you shouldn't be owning people as property. It's wrong and against God's will. He's like, yeah, she's annoying me. And what we think about Paul, where we think Paul's coming from, is that he probably on one hand kind of came to accept slavery you know, it was everywhere in the Roman Empire. Maybe it's just the way it was. You know, we get numb to the oppression sometimes. But we also think that Paul was so convinced that Jesus was going to come again in his lifetime, you know, which might have given him, a, what, another 30 years or so, that he didn't think it was a huge worry. Well, when Jesus comes, 
everyone will be free, so why worry about getting the Romans all mad at you and ending up getting crucified like Spartacus, you know, for doing this? You know, let's just bring people to Christ and then and, and wait it out. And I think that was one of Paul's kind of blind spots there. And it's part of why I, he didn't respond in the way I wish he would have responded. But he does. He eventually he does. He chases the the, uh, the girl gets freed. He ends up in jail. But it seems like it's almost fair to say that like the book of Acts is trying to tell you that if you're really going to be one of Jesus' disciples, if you're really going to be in this freeing people business, that you have to be prepared for some people to not be happy about that. Because a world of freedom means a world with no masters, and masters don't like to give up the money and the power they have. It means a world where nobody's owned or exploited, a world where, where, where people have choices and options in life. That, that it, a world where if you want people to work for them, you have to actually pay them. You can't beat them into doing it or trap them into doing it. It means a world where nobody's a slave and nobody is a master. And you know, you sit and you try to imagine what that world would be like. And I've sat and I've tried to, I tried to picture that. I was writing this sermon like, what would that actually look like? How would you actually like structure things? It, it took a little bit of thinking. I'm not sure I came up with the answer. But I'm not giving up on the vision. Right? Because True freedom means that people have choices. That people have the choices of what they want to do. And, and one of the things that you learn about freedom is that freedom doesn't mean much freedom unless you have the means to follow through on those choices. Right? I, you, you can say to any, anyone in America is free to go travel to Hawaii to vacation. But traveling to Hawaii for vacation is not free, right? You are free to leave your apartment building and move into another one, but the other one might not be affordable. So maybe you're not really free to move. You are free to quit your job at any time, but it may be that there's not another one waiting for you. And you got rent to pay, so I guess I'm not really free, right? So it's like, legally you're free, but you don't have the means to go. You're not free. You know? That's not God's vision for the world. God's vision for a world is one where we are free, where we have choices. And um, so, to sum it up, Jesus' freedom comes in a couple ways. A couple ways. It comes in the form of choices. Right? God doesn't regulate every single second of our lives. God doesn't provide a law code so big and thick that, that, that every single thing we do already has something written for it. Most of our lives, as we know, are decisions we have to make. The Bible does not say whether I should or should not, as I'm on Ina, merging into the construction zone, let that guy in the big truck who just went racing 70 miles an hour to get ahead of me, the Bible does not say whether I should let him, I should slow down to let him through first. What should I do? Jesus, I'm not going to say Jesus take the wheel or I'll be eating that truck. 
It doesn't, it doesn't dictate everything we do, does it? I mean, there's God's laws, but it doesn't answer everything. It's almost like God believes us or trusts us in a sense and says, I believe you, I'm going to give you choices, which is really trusting when you look at human history. But, and I know that there's sometimes, you almost wish it was the case, that God would just make the decision for you and not be free. And you always wonder, why do people not want to be free? If you're not free, you're not responsible. Right? I'm just doing, I'm just following orders. It's not my fault. You know, and if, if God were to come and just spell out every second of my life in intricate detail, then I'm just following orders. I'm not stuck having to decide what to do. It's why freedom, freedom can be a curse almost as much as it can be a joy, right? But that's what Christianity does. Jesus gives us that freedom along with the Holy Spirit to guide us to make those choices. And, two, freedom has to come with dismantling some of these ways that keep people oppressed. And because, again, choice isn't really a choice if you have no way to act on it, you know? If everyone is really going to be free from oppression, then everyone has to have the means to make different choices. And that will mean making sure everybody has means to make choices and isn't forced into misery to survive. We know of a situation like you ever said, I was seeing one of these shows about mines in Peru, you know, and they're showing one of these mines way up in the Andes. The people get paid 20 bucks a month. They work 16-hour days. They live in toxic sludge. The company made $20 billion or something. Why do they do it? Who'd want to work that job? Well, it's that or starve. There's no other jobs in the town. That's not freedom. You can't technically be a slave. You ain't free. Freedom, freedom means we got to start asking those kind of systems questions. But that, well, that gets touchy, right? But what about that world? Can you imagine a world that's free? Jesus is calling us to imagine that, to envision that, to think about that, to believe in it, to not give up on it. And that is God's will for us to be free and for us to free others. A world with no masters, only children of God. Amen.